Welcome to Weston's Sermon Podcast of the Week. We are so glad you've joined us today. If you have been encouraged by our ministry and would like to support us financially, you can do so at westonroadchurch.com slash give. Thanks for joining us this week, and we hope you enjoyed this week's message. Why don't you give Jesus an even greater hand clap this morning for everything he's done? You know, the children's pastor said it perfectly. We don't serve a dead God. Why don't you say it out of your mouth? I don't serve a dead God. The Bible says on the island of Patmos, when John the Revelator had heard a voice that thundered like many waters, he looked behind him and he didn't see some depleted, beat down, bloody God. He said, I looked behind me and I saw, you know, a lot of people think Jesus is some God who's just, you know, Jesus is some like hippie. He's in a swing set in heaven and he's swinging. And there's doves flying around his, around his head. And the angels are just playing harps around him. That's not what heaven looks like. And that's not what Jesus looks like. Let me tell you what the Bible says Jesus looks like. The Bible says, when I looked behind me, I fell as one dead. Meaning just the sight of Jesus made me pass out, John said. And he said, I saw one whose hair was white like wool. Whose face was like the sun shining in its brilliance whose feet were like burnished bronze, and whose voice was like the sound of many thunders and many waters. And I heard him say, do not fear. So although he's that great and that omnipotent and that awe-striking, he still says, don't fear. Don't be afraid. You might be here this morning, and you think God's angry at you. And you think God's been out to get you. And you think God's been the the source of your problems all these days. But I'm here to tell you tonight, the same today, the same thing Jesus told John on the island of Patmos. He's telling you today, don't be afraid. For I am he that was dead. But behold, but behold. But behold, the story doesn't end there. Three days later, I who was dead, I'm now alive. And I hold the keys of death, hell, and the grave. And he that believes on me, he shall not die, but live and tell of the works of the Lord. Let me tell you at the start of this meeting, whatever you came in here with today, Whatever problem has been burdening you, everything that's been a source of heaviness on your life, everything that's been, it's been like a storm, five-year storm, ten-year storm, and you just think you've hit a stride of bad luck. It's not been bad luck. It's been the devil who's been trying to steal, kill, and destroy God's destiny on your life. But the good news is, is that as hard as the devil's tried, he couldn't keep you from entering into this building today. And if he couldn't keep you from walking through those doors, he can't keep you from God's greatest blessing, the resurrection power of God coming alive on the inside of you. I want everyone just to close your eyes and and bow your heads. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray as your word goes out today, let it be like a double-edged sword. Let it cut every form of satanic affliction off their life forever. Father, I pray that by your resurrection power, any problem in their body, any sickness or disease, anything that's been in depression, anxiety, multiple cirrhosis, maybe it's multiple personalities. Father, I pray any affliction of hell, every oppression of the devil, as they come 
come in contact with the life-giving, eternal word of God. I pray, let the tables of the devil be flipped over. Let health come to them. Let divine restoration come to them. Let their hearts be readily able to receive the word implanted today. Let it bear fruit, the supernatural fruit of your power. In Jesus' mighty name, if you believe that, shout amen. I want to talk to you very briefly before we pray on the, the resurrection power of God. The resurrection power of God. You know, the resurrection is not, is not some, you know, fable or cunningly devised tale that we just came up with. You know, like, jo I think it's Joseph Smith of the Mormons. He put his head in a hat and came out with some revelation from heaven. That's not what the revelation is. The, the, the resurrection is. It wasn't some Christian long ago who decided, you know what, I'm tired with this Jewish way of doing things. Let's just change things up. That's not what the resurrection is. You know, Christianity is not based on faith. Christianity is not based on faith. Christianity is actually based on a fact. The tomb is empty. Christianity is accessed by faith, but it's based on a fact. It's the most heavily documented historical fact in all, in all, of, in all of history. There's more proof that the resurrection happened, that the tomb was empty. There's more proof, I think it's like 10,000 times more proof of that than that Julius Caesar was ever even a human on earth. And we've never come to doubt the authenticity of the reign of Julius Caesar. But how is it that there's a ploy of the devil to try to keep people bound in blindness to not see that the tomb is empty? Because everything that God has to offer, turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Starting from verse 1. 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, and verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Verse 3. For I delivered unto you, first of all, Meaning it was the first thing I got to you when I came. The, that which I also received. That Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That he was seen by Cephas, which is Peter. And then by the, the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 people at once. And of whom the greater remain to the present. Meaning they're still alive. Not, not now when he was writing this. That would be odd if they were still alive. But some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James and then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also as one born out of due time. For I am the least worthy of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle of Jesus Christ because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. But I labored more than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God working in me. I want you to skip down to verse, verse 54. Or verse 50. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I'll tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. But we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the sound of the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound 
And the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall all be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption. This mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? For the sting of death is sin. And the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be unto God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, be immovable, always working and abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is never in vain. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, Paul listed in 1 Corinthians 15, was an, a historical fact of whom 500 people, you know, people say, you know, they just, you know, why don't you use something outside the Bible to prove the, the resurrection of Christ? There is more documents outside of the Bible to prove the resurrection than there is to prove most of the stuff we believe today. I mean, there's that, that uh, book that they make us read in, in uh, college courses. It's, uh, what's it by? What's his name? That philosopher. No, I forget his name. But he's a philosopher, and they make us read his document, his book. Aristotle, I think it is. Or no, it's Plato's Republic. That's it. They make us read Plato's Republic. I don't know if they do it here, but in Quebec they do. As if it's like, you know, it's the most document, well-documented, proven book that there's no, you know, there's no doubt that this is exactly what Plato had written. This is exactly what Plato had, you know, had, had, had in his heart to give to his generation. But if you actually understand that there are 25,000 manuscripts of the New Testament alone that rose up within the first 30 or 40 years after Jesus died. And Plato's Republic, there's like, I think, less than 100. There's 25,000 manuscripts of the New Testament alone. Before I get on to the power, we have to understand that the resurrection is a historical fact. You know, there's, an ar there's three archaeologists in Jerusalem. Three of them that are like experts in this, and they've studied their whole life trying to prove, the, prove or disprove, based on the evidence, the resurrection and the tomb, the tomb being empty. And there's three. One of them is, uh, you know, one guy, another guy, and then there's this other guy whose name's Gordon. He's an archaeologist named Gordon. We don't know why, but that's just, that's just who he is. All three of them have an empty tomb. One says it's in one place, the other says it's in another place, and then Gordon thinks it's in the last place. But the, the thing is, is that every single one of them is empty. Jesus, the Bible says, on the day, that's on that Sunday morning, which is today, but 2,000 odd years ago, when two women had come to the tomb, they stretched forth their necks looking into the tomb, and they saw that there was nobody there, and they got confused and started weeping. And the gardener came out. They thought it was the gardener, but really it was an angel. And they said, what have you done with the body of Jesus? And the gardener said, the body that you're looking for, why, like Pastor John quoted, why are you seeking the living amongst the dead? This Jesus, whom was crucified, he is alive and he lives forevermore. And the good news is, is that when you come to Jesus Christ and make him Lord and Savior of your life, not only does he live, but because he lives, we can live like him here and now and taste eternal life. I have a quote I'm going to read you by this. He's, I don't even know if he's 
a Christian. I think he might be a secular guy. His name's E.M. Blakelock, a professor of classics in Auckland University. And he said, I am a historian. My approach to the classics is, is historical. And I tell you, now, Auckland University isn't some, like, you know, community college. It's a very renowned historical uh, university that has its, like, foundation in studying history. That's one of their, like, specialties. I tell you, the evidence for the life and the death and the resurrection of Christ is better authenticated than most of the facts of ancient history. Skip over to Charles Colson, another quote, who, who I don't even think he was a Christian. He might have become a Christian after, but I don't think he was a Christian when he wrote this. Actually, no, Charles Colson was a Christian. I know the resurrection is a fact, and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. And they proclaimed that true for 40 years, nobody ever denying it. They all died. 11 of the 12, the last one, John, they tried to kill him. They boiled him in oil and they couldn't kill him. So they exiled him to Patmos. They proclaimed the truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone had been beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. They would not have endured that if it weren't true. Watergate embroiled 12, now understand, these were apostles, 12 apostles that were like, the Bible says, uneducated, untrained people. Like, nobody special. And they went through all that to prove, to prove that what they believed in. But Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world. And they couldn't keep alive for three weeks. If you're, you're telling me 12 apostles could keep alive for 40 years, absolutely impossible. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is a historical fact. That's why we even pin our whole timeline based on that. We have AD, we have BC, because they, and the Bible says 500 people. You know, one of the things we learned in Bible college was like the, uh, the uh, illusion theory, which is that all 500 people had actually had maybe a bad batch of, I don't know, mushrooms or something, and they poisoned themselves to the point that all of them saw the same thing. Do you understand how supernatural that would have had to have been for 500 people to have the same bad trip and see the same, the same uh, you know, hallucination? That's just people trying to get around the fact. But you can't beat around the fact. If you grew up in public school, that's what they want to do. They'll make you look like you're an idiot. That you, you, you're some scum of the earth, dumb moron that doesn't know his left hand from his right hand because you believe that Jesus rose from the dead. But you know what? It's... It, it, it's it actually takes more faith to believe that Jesus didn't rise from the dead than it does to believe that he rose from the dead. Can you say amen? You know, it's funny how some atheists, they literally give their whole life towards disproving the existence of God. And then, you know, and they get irritated and their blood starts boiling when you hear a preacher like me. Why do you think? Because deep down on the inside, Deep down within their hearts, deep down within their inner conscience, they know that they know that the evidence outweighs their doubt and skepticism, that there's a, there is a Jesus, there's a God that one day they must face, and they can't get around it. Let me tell you, if you've thought that your whole life, you're not too late, that Jesus Christ, though you might have 
hated him for many years, though you might have lived a life contrary. Maybe you even have a blog that's an atheist blog. Let me tell you, God's not angry at you. God's not trying to like, he doesn't have a lightning bolt set up to strike you at any moment. God loves you. That's why the Bible says God demonstrated his love towards us that while we were yet in sin, Christ came and died for us. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that you're just one prayer away for coming into his kingdom and living a life worthy. Can you say amen? amen. Say the resurrection's a fact. Number one. Number two is the resurrection separates us from every other religion. You, you can take, you can, you, can, you can visit the grave and tomb of every other religious leader, every religious founder. You can go see where Buddha's dead. You can go and see where Muhammad's dead. You can go and see where, where they're all, you know, all the Hindu gods and everyone. You can go and visit their graves because you, they, they died and stayed in the grave. But there's one who died and didn't stay in that grave, but three days later rose from the dead. That's what separates Christianity. You know, all religions are the same. They all lead to the same place. No, my friend, they don't. Because some people proclaim, like Mohammed said, I think I found the way to God. Buddha said, I think I found the, the way or the path to peace. But Jesus is the only one that said, I am not just a way. I'm not just a truth. I'm not just a a a a." a life. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And he that comes to the Father must pass through me. You know, all roads lead to the same God. You wouldn't use that if I was trying to, you wouldn't use that if you were trying to get to Chicago from here. All roads lead to Chicago. Really? Why don't you, you know, all roads lead to Montreal. If I take the 417, uh, 427 or the 410, I'm not going to make it to Montreal. I need to get on the 401 East, and I need to get to Montreal by taking the 401 East, and then I take the 30, and I get home. And if I use that type of thinking in how I drove, man, we would have never had this weekend. I wouldn't be here. I'd be somewhere, you know, well, Carrie, put it on Google Maps, but ultimately I know all roads lead to Weston Road. It's not true. All roads don't leave here. More, uh, uneducated people say that. But anyone that has any sense of understanding, know that there's only one truth. There's only one absolute truth. There's not many truths and many ways. There's one truth. There's one way. And you can do nothing against the truth, but only for the truth. Can you say amen? And Jesus didn't say, I am a truth. He said, I am truth. I am truth. I am life. I am the way. You know. R.W. Shambach, anyone know of R.W. Shambach? He was a minister who, he, you know, he was a voice of healing minister and he lived up until I think 2012. A mighty man of God used in, in the evangelistic fields. Used to pop up crusade tents everywhere. He was in India one year and as he was, pre he had rented out a stadium and the stadium was massive. I think it was like a 15,000 seater auditorium or a 20,000 seater stadium. And he, the first night 1,500 people came. And he realized, he said, like while he was waiting to get up to preach, he said, Lord, how am I going to win all these people to you? How am I going to do it? I mean, we set up this thing for two weeks. We have the stadium rented out for two weeks. And here we're 1,500. It looks empty. 1,500 people in a room like this looks full. 1,500 people in a stadium of 15,000 or 20,000 looks like as if there were 50 people here today. It looks empty. So he actually wanted, Lord, what am I going to do? He gets up to preach. What, the first night, nothing, you know, he had a couple of people saved. But the second night, same thing, 1,500, 2,000 people. So finally, the Lord showed him a blind woman in the front seat, in the front row. And he, he said, now I want you to go. And he gave him wisdom, what to do. I want you to call that woman out 
She's fully blind. I want you to lay hands on her. And I want you to do it first in the name of Muhammad. Then I want you to do it in the name of some of the Hindu gods and, and, and Sikh gods. And then I want you to pray in my name. So he calls her up, has her stand up. Now you do this, you got to have guts. Because if this doesn't work, brother, you're, you're not packing that stadium out. Whatever 1,500 were there before, you'll be reduced down to 15 people. And that will probably be the planning crew and whoever else promoted the event. So he calls her out. And she's, she's blind. Like blind, blind, white eyes and everything. He puts his hands on her. And he says, now, before I do this, I want you to know what I'm going to do. I'm first going to play in the name of Muhammad. And we're going to see if God heals her. He, he grabs her. Father, God, in the name of Muhammad, I pray that you would open this, little, this woman's eyes. Nothing happened. He said, now I'm going to pray in the name of, uh, of your Hindu God. Father, I pray in the name of this God that you open up her eyes. In Jesus' name, nothing happened. Then he said, now I'm going to pray in the name that is above every name, the name of Jesus Christ, whom I preach. Father, in the name of Jesus. When he said Jesus, her eyes came open. She began to see her white eyes started filling with color. And she was, her eyes had opened supernaturally in, in, in an instant. And the next day, and the rest of the crusade, it was a packed auditorium with overflow. Let me tell you, our God is the one true God. He's the most high God. And in his name, there's power release that no other God can do. They have eyes, but they can't see. Ears they have, but they can't hear. They have, uh, they have feet, but they can't move. But our God has an arm that's mighty to save. He has eyes to see. He knows the pit you're in. And he's calling you, saying, come unto me, and I'll lift you out of that pit and put you on a rock to stay. Can you say amen? It's what differentiated Jesus from all the Pharisees and religions, religious people of that day. The Bible says John the Baptist, when he had been in prison, came to Jesus. Or he sent two, two of his disciples to Jesus and said, are you the coming one? Or should we look for another? He had started to doubt the messi messianic uh, prophecies that was concerning Jesus. He thought maybe he wasn't, you know, here I am in jail. If I really, maybe if I was following God, I wouldn't be here right now. But so he started to doubt a little bit. Finally, when he sent those two disciples to Jesus, Jesus didn't say, hey, John the Baptist, uh, go and tell John the Baptist, you know, I set up a new PowerPoint presentation. You can give him a USB. He'll plug it into his prison cell. And uh, it has good points, valid arguments as to why I'm the Messiah. That's not why he did. He didn't provide valid arguments why he was the Messiah. You know what? The gospel of Jesus Christ isn't an oral presentation. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a show and tell. That's why Jesus, before he went up to heaven, he said, Now go ye therefore into all the world. Preach this gospel to all creation. They that believe and are baptized, they'll be saved. They that don't believe, they'll go to hell. But these signs that... that that these signs shall follow them that do believe. In my name, they will cast out devils. In my name, they'll pick up deadly things. They won't harm them. They'll drink poison. They won't touch them. They'll lay hands on the sick, and the sick shall recover. So Jesus looked at John. He started immediately, on the, on the spot, started healing people of incurable disease. And he looked at John and said, now go and tell. He looked at John's disciples. Go and tell John the things which you've seen and heard. The dead are raised. The sick are healed, the lame are healed, the lepers are cleansed, and the gospel is preached to the poor. Blessed are they that aren't offended because of me. Can you say amen? 
our gospel. That's why Paul in Romans 1.16, he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not ashamed. If people hate me because of it, it doesn't matter. You want to know why? Especially for me. I had been diagnosed at like 13, 14 of an incurable disease called obsessive compulsive disorder. OCD, a mental illness that makes your life a living hell on earth. Let me tell you, if anyone has it, God will touch you today. But let me tell you my story. When I had OCD, no way out. There's no Doctors can just prescribe you pills, anti-anxiety medication, try and alleviate the symptoms. But ultimately, you're stuck with that. There's no way to get out of it. But look, thank God that he's a living God. Because with man, things might be impossible. But with God, nothing shall be impossible to him that believes. I, I didn't live for the Lord up until I was 20 years old. At 20 years old, I got fed up. I, you know, I would smoke whatever just to get myself calm and stuff, but it don't work because after a while, after you, you, you finish your high, the anxiety comes up a lot more and the depression comes in a lot more because what they're lacing, especially marijuana today, they're lacing it with all kinds of chemicals that more people are being admitted into hospitals for psychosis than any other thing because of marijuana usage. So when they're trying to pump it in, they're trying to dumb down the population so they can do whatever behind the scenes. But that's another story. So... I, 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 get, I, I get saved at 20, but just because I got saved didn't mean I get healed. Because healing and salvation is in the same work of the cross. But it takes a knowledge of what Jesus did in order to partake of those two things. You understand that? Just because Jesus died and was whipped for our healing, unless you understand that those stripes were for our healing, that will never work for you. That's why the Bible says, without understanding, people go into exile. Not because God has them in this time for a season. No, because they lack understanding of what Christ did. They actually are, are, they stay in captivity. But when you come to understand that by his stripes you are healed, that captivity is broken and your freedom is guaranteed. Can you say amen? So I, I, I remember three months into my salvation, I heard a, an evangelist preaching a very similar message out of Isaiah 53. Surely he himself bore our sins in his body. He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was, he was bruised for our iniquities. He was, he was uh, pierced through for our transgressions. The chastisement of our peace was laid upon him. And by his stripes, you were healed. Then he flipped over to the New Testament. Well, that's just the Old Testament. No, then he flipped over to the New Testament. Matthew 8, 16 and 17. The Bible says that at evening they brought unto him all them that were sick with various diseases. And he cast out the spirits with the word and he healed everyone. That it might be fulfilled what was prophesied by Isaiah. That he bore our sicknesses and carried our pains. Can you say amen? Then a flip over a little more in the New Testament. 1 Peter 2.24. The Bible says himself bore our sins in his body. That we would be dead to sin and alive unto God. By whose stripes you were healed. In Isaiah it says you will be. In Matthew it says they are being. And in 1 Peter it says by the stripes you were healed. Your healing is not something you have to look forward to. Your restoration isn't something in the future. As if Jesus is going to come back and take more stripes on his back for you to be healed. He already got every stripe that was necessary to purchase for you healing in your body. That's why I'm here to tell you you are leaving this place touched by the resurrection power of Christ. Free from sickness. Free from disease. Walking in God's fullness for your life. If you believe that, put your hands together and give Jesus a mighty hand clap. When I heard that out of the Bible, when I saw it for myself, I had never read those scriptures. I had been saved two, three months. Never read those scriptures. The moment I saw that, it was like electricity. It ran from the top of my head 
down to the soles of my feet. It wasn't some 16-step, you know, program. It was, can you put my mic up just a little bit? It was a one-step thing immediately. Like that woman with the issue of blood. She heard about Jesus. She pressed through the crowd. She said, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I know I will be made well. When she touched it, it did the same thing. She felt that same zap of electricity zapping out, taking off every satanic affliction in her body. And she felt in her body that she was made well. That's exactly what happened to me. I stand here seven years later. No more symptoms. No, I never took pills. I don't take it. It's not like I go to psychotherapy treatments every Tuesday. I'm here and I am what I am by the grace of God. And my God will do it for you today in the name of Jesus Christ. Christianity is not like every other religion. It's not like every other religion. No other, no other religious founder rose from the dead. They died and stayed dead. But our God, the Bible says, Thou, o Lord, art high above all the earth. Thou art exalted above all gods. Can you say amen? amen? Number three, the resurrection marks the end to every struggle with the devil. That's where people miss it. They think Christianity is just coming, praying a prayer at an altar, and then going back to the same life. They, 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 they just, you know, nothing changed, nothing, nothing shifts. It's just the same thing. Now at least we have the assurance that one day we'll go to heaven. That's not what Jesus came to set up on the earth. You understand that Jesus was a seed in God's hand, that he, sent, he sowed that seed into the earth, that when he was buried, that was God planting his seed into the earth, his only begotten son, his most precious seed. What does a seed do? A seed reproduces after its own kind. A seed reproduces after its own kind. You don't plant apple seeds and then get orange trees. I'm not a gardener and I have no education in agriculture, but I'm pretty sure that's true. You don't plant, you know, pomegranate seeds and, and you, you know, reap a harvest of onions. It doesn't work that way. You plant and you, you reap what you sow. Can you say amen? amen? When God sowed his only son, it wasn't so that Jesus can establish some new form of religion where we, you know, ultimately we still have to go to the high priest every year. We still have to pay our yearly sacrifices. No, when Jesus died and rose again, the Bible says we now have boldness through the blood of Jesus Christ to have direct access to God. And not only that, when the seed was planted and it began to sprout out, he bore much fruit. Jesus, we are actually branches grafted in to the vine of Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? We're the fruit of what Jesus produced. That means we have divine nature in our own bodies. We have resurrection power. That's why Romans 8.11 says this. That if the same spirit which raised Christ Jesus from the dead lives in you, then that same spirit will quicken your mortal body to enable you to operate like Jesus operated. Jesus isn't some blueprint, uh, some like museum that we're to visit in the Bible. You know, isn't that great? But that was Jesus. No. God sent forth his only son so that he would now through his son, adopt us as sons and as daughters into his kingdom. Can you say amen? amen. If you're a, a son of God, if you're a daughter of God, let me tell you something. A, daughter, a, a son of a goat is a what? The child of a donkey is a? When you're a child of God, you, I'm not saying you become a God, 
But the same nature flows through you. The same power. That's why Jesus said in John 14, 12, What's assuredly I say unto you, He that believes on me, the same works will he do because I go unto the Father. He that believes on me, not, you know, when I go up to heaven, I'll, don't try and do what I do. Jesus, every single time he did something, he looked to his disciples and said, now you go preach this gospel. You heal the sick. You raise the dead. You cleanse the lepers. As you've received, now freely give to others. That's what Christianity is. It wasn't set up so that we can, you know, venerate the man of God. and venerate. That's, Jesus is in his, a class of his own. But we as brothers and co-heirs of Christ are partakers. First Peter chapter 1, 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 3. As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us to glory. That by these precious promises we have become partakers of the divine nature. Having escaped the corruption of this world. You know we live in this fallen world so we're, we're prone. No. I, if you still live in this fallen world, you're going to hell. Because I don't live in this fallen world. I've been translated into a new world, into a new kingdom. The Bible says that we have been brought into the kingdom of God. And as a result, the wicked one does not touch us. I'm untouchable. I'm impermeable. I'm unoppressable. Not because of me, but by might, not by strength, but by the spirit of almighty God living on the inside of me. You're going to enter into that camp of victors today in Jesus' name name can you say amen? amen well ultimately our lives are all the same we just one day it'll all be worth it it's been worth it ever since I, I linked up hands with Jesus it's not one day it'll be worth it it's here and now and then we'll take the full the fullness of it when we see it and we'll become like he is Jesus did not come to establish a religious institution some religious organization some form of, you know, just like zombies coming into church Sunday after Sunday, paying our dues. we got to check in, do our two hours on Sunday morning. Jesus died, not so he can hoard resurrection power, but that he can get resurrection power to the people. When Adam sinned, he forfeited the power of God. When Christ obeyed, even unto death, he reclaimed the power, the, the power that the devil had snatched away from him. He regained the keys of death, hell, and the grave. And he didn't just hoard it for himself. He told Peter, now I give you these keys. That whatever you bind shall be bound. Whatever you loose shall be loose. Now I give you the keys of the power of the kingdom of heaven. Luke 10, 19. Behold, I give you power and authority over all the power of the devil. And nothing shall by any means harm you. You know, we all suffer in different ways. Not me. Not me. And as long as you have a tolerance for suffering, and I'm not talking about suffering for the gospel, meaning people persecute. You see, that's what happens in a nation where there's virtually no persecution. Is that we, we relegate, what, when the Bible talks about suffering, we actually make it to think that it's talking about sickness, disease, you know, going through tough times. It's not talking about that. When the Bible talks about suffering, it's always, without exception, Talking about persecution for the cause of Christ. Without exception. But in a nation like Canada, when, you know, we can do whatever we want, we, we have freedom of religion, 
We don't understand those scriptures. So we just make it, you know, sometimes we go through sickness and it's just a trial. God's trying to sharpen us. No, God's not trying to sharpen. God is not in bed with the devil trying to do things to you so that you can learn some lesson. God's word is more than enough, more than sufficient to teach me any lesson. God doesn't need the devil's help. God on his own says, I will teach you in a gentle way. I'll lead you in the path you should go. Can you say amen? As long as you think sickness and disease is just another part of life, then you'll stay in it. Whatever you don't resist has a right to remain. Whatever you don't resist has a right to remain. And if you think God's at the source of that problem in your life, you won't resist. Who can resist God and win? You won't resist. That's why the devil works overtime trying to get you to think that God's the one doing this, that God's the one putting sickness on you, God's the one tearing up your family because there's some sort of twisted lesson he's trying to teach you. I'm, I'm here to tell you, brother, it's the thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have life to the fullness. You're entering into that life today, whether the devil likes it or not. The devil will rue the day he could have killed you. From today, in Jesus Christ's name you're entering in to the goodness of the Lord and the last defeat you ever suffered will be the last defeat you ever have to suffer in Jesus name you can look at me and think I'm crazy but I haven't said anything outside of the word of God you can have a religious look on your face like you got baptized in pickle juice 16 weeks ago and you know he's just young and immature I haven't said one thing outside of the word of God everything's God's word religion wants to keep you bound that's why when Jesus in Luke 13 he got to that synagogue what was ruled by Pharisees and religious people and there was a woman bent double for 18 years Jesus didn't look at her and said well you know this, uh, this, this sickness and disease is to result in my glory one day you'll understand why he didn't do that he took her put her, bring her forth laid his hands on her and said, be loose from this infirmity. Immediately, she was made straight. And the Bible says, the religious people, yeah, there are six days on which men ought to be healed. Come on those days and get healed. As for this, this is our Sabbath. Jesus looked at them and said, you hypocrites. You brood of vipers. You snakes. That's what he called them. He's not some, like they do in the Catholic churches. They have Jesus on the cross, some skinny white guy with like the biggest frown on his face. Or even the pictures you see, you know those pictures where you like walk across and it changes the, I don't, I don't know what they're called, but it changes like the picture as you walk across. Every, you know, you look at the Catholic ones, they're all, as if he's some depressed, you know, the Bible says in his presence there's fullness of joy. Jesus isn't depressed. You see Jesus is depressed. I mean, you see the one who has the power to give joy as depressed. You'll have no hope to ever get out of depression. But I'm here to tell you, the Bible says that the Lord sits in the heavens and he laughs. He's a happy God. He's a joyful God. And he said, I have joy unexplainable and full of glory reserved for my children. That joy, that oil of joy is coming on your life today. That instead of a, a, a depressed heaviness, you'll walk around with a contagious joy from today onward in Jesus' mighty name. You brood of vipers, you hypocrites. Ought not, ought not God, sorry, ought not this woman of Abraham, this daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound 18 years, be loose from this infirmity on the, on the Sabbath? Which of you won't let, loose up his donkey and lead it to water on the Sabbath? Ought not this woman of Abraham, this daughter of Abraham? Jesus loves people. Jesus is more concerned with people than he is with people's religious schedules. 
That's why religion always delegates healing to some, one day God will do it. No, God did it and he did it for me. God already did it and he did it for me. That's why we named our ministry Salvation Now. Because it's not salvation tomorrow. It's not salvation next week. Today is the acceptable day to be saved. Now is the time to rise up as a child of God and manifest that sonship to this generation. You are taking that place today in Jesus' name. Number four. Number three. The, the, the resurrection marks an end to every struggle with the devil. What do you think, why do you think Jesus on the cross when he hung there, his last words, one of his last words, well, I know his actual last words, were what? It is finished. That's why Romans 10 says, don't say in your heart, who will go up to heaven and bring Christ back down? It's how people in Christianity, oh, if God could just come down and do it. No, God doesn't have to come down and do it. God already sent forth his Holy Spirit to do everything for it. Can you say amen? Then it says, don't say in your heart, who will go down to the grave and bring Christ back up from the dead. He's already been raised. He's been raised once. It's appointed for man to die once, then comes the judgment. Jesus isn't coming back again to die a second death. The death he died once on Calvary was sufficient enough to deal with every struggle, every problem, every roadblock, every wall that the devil would seek to keep you bounded. That's why Isaiah 61 says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me. For he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to set free them that are brokenhearted, to give recovery of sight to the blind, to tell them that are in prison doors. The day of your prison doors staying closed ended yesterday. From today, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Number four, and I'll finish with this. The resurrection opened the gateway to the power of God. Ephesians 2. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. And you, God made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. Who were dead in trespasses and sins. Not still dead, were dead. Is enough of, you know, a lot of people, they love to stay at the tomb. Some people love to stay at the cross, but Jesus is not at the cross anymore. Some people like to stay at the tomb. They have dead religion. It just, it's foul stench. It stinks. It sucks. That's why people don't want to go to some churches, because it's just a tomb religion. Nobody, who wants to, you know, live at a tomb at a cemetery? It's weird. Then there's other people who, who, who they, they preach, uh, you know, that Jesus hasn't ascended yet. Not an ascended Jesus. Then there's others who preach just an ascended Jesus. Where he's seated and he's, you know, he's seated in heavenly places. He's seated alone there. But I'm going to tell you something from Ephesians 2, the good news. In which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom we also conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. We're by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us with, even when we were dead in sins, made us alive together with Christ. So that covers, we're no longer dead, we're alive in Christ. But the good news is, we go on a little further. We don't just, you know, what do we do after Resurrection Sunday? Do we just celebrate the resurrected Christ and that's it? No. 
There's more to that. It's not just Christ resurrected. It's that resurrection power resurrected me. I have resurrection life now living on the inside. I'm going to show you where you're actually strategically positioned. Though your body's here on these chairs, I'm going to show you where you are in spirit. Even when we were dead in, in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. Verse 6, and raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, he might show unto us the exceeding riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. We are not just raised with Christ. We're not just made alive in Christ. We have been raised with him and seated in him in heavenly places. Where is Christ seated? At the right hand of God. The Bible says in Ephesians 1, he's far above every principality, every power, every dominion, every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And the Bible says, not only is he seated far above, but we've been seated in Christ Jesus far above those things that the dominion of hell, the power of hell, you know, you know how many people I've gone to their churches and the past, especially when I go to like southern, like Latin American churches, well, you know, like in the south, Dominican Republic, one place I can, I can, I, I can remember off the top of my head, well, there's a, there's a principality, you know, there's this witch, actually, that outside of this crusade field, she's about two blocks from here, and I just know she's casting spells on tonight. And I, he, he was saying it as if it's supposed to, like, what, what am I going to, is that supposed to scare me? Is that supposed to put me, if the devil has been whipped and destroyed, his teeth knocked out, his brains gushed out, if the devil, if their leader looks like that, how much weaker are all his demons? You'll find the demon presence in Africa is very strong. You'll find the demon presence in Latin America is very strong. Oh, it's not like it is in North America. I found that everywhere I've been, the demon presence is equally weak because the devil is defeated. He's under my feet. And if their leader and captain's under my feet, how much more are his demons and his cohorts? I am resurrected with Christ. I've been placed. You've been placed far above, far above, far above, not below, above all never beneath the head always never the tail I hate weak Christianity I hate that effeminate it's like a, a castrated Christianity we just got our dog castrated he, he walks around like with a cone and he looks he's pitiable he's, it's a shame to look at him it's how some Christians are they walk around with the cone on their head and they look weak you know, I was telling Pastor John yesterday, Smith Wigglesworth, a man who raised 27 people from the dead, he said, I was sitting on a bench once, and he used to love watching birds. And he said, I observed this lady who was waiting at the bus stop, and her house was right behind her. And there was her dog that was like, while the bus was coming, while she was waiting, the, the dog was just playing with her, you know, peeing on a tree, whatnot. Finally, the bus is approaching, and then she looks at her dog and says, get back in the house. Get back in the house. And the dog just wagged its tail, didn't listen, peed on another tree. Finally, Smith, uh, the, the lady ended up seeing the bus coming a little closer. It was about 10 yards out. She saw the pressure now, and she yelled at her dog, uh, whatever, Toby, get back in the house now. And the dog tucked its tail and ran back in the house, closed the door, made lemonade, changed the sheets, did everything. Smith Wigglesworth, without even thinking, got up 
without even thinking and just shut out his spirit. That's how you got to deal with the devil. The devil's not a gentleman. You can't treat him as such. You have to understand that the devil's only power is to deceive you into thinking that he is a roaring lion. But the Bible doesn't call him a roaring lion. He is like a roaring lion. He's actually just a little mouse with a microphone. He has no power. That power was stripped from him 2,000 years ago when Christ rose from the dead. He defeated sin. He defeated the grave. He defeated the devil. That now we can now reign in this life through Jesus Christ who gave us strength. No wonder Paul said, I can do all things. I can do all things through Jesus who gives me strength. Not I can do some things. Oh, brother, you got to pray. I don't know how to get through this week. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Because it's not by might. It's not by strength. But it's by his spirit, says the Lord. You're not going to give up. You're not going to quit. You're not going to get knocked out. You are taking your place to him who is more than a conqueror through Christ who gives us strength. Can you say amen? amen? Thanks be unto God who always gives us the victory. We can't win every battle. Oh, my brother, I, I, my Bible has something different to say. My Bible doesn't say that this life is a series of ups and downs, mountains and valleys. The Bible says if we'll behold him as in a glass, the glory of the Lord will get transformed into that same glory, not from victory to defeat, but victory to victory. For the path of the just shines brighter and brighter even unto that perfect day. I remember when I first got saved, things were so good. And we, you know, we had a great testimony, but, you know, it went down from there. But, you know, one day I know it's not, it's not realistic. I had a Bible college professor tell me that. It's not realistic to have that same first love glow your whole life. Beg to differ. I love Jesus more today than I did when I first got saved. I have more divine nature in my body today than I did when I first got saved. I'm having more testimonies today than I did when I first got saved. I mean, there was a lady not too far from here in Brantford, Ontario. She had type 1 diabetes or type 2 diabetes, sorry. He had, she had a sugar level of 11.5 average, which is high. And she was like, you, you know, not in good shape. And she came to an altar after I preached a message like this. And I, all I did was lay hands. And I didn't, I didn't even think I touched her. I just came near her, put my hand up. She fell out under the power. Because, the, you know, the power of God's real. Why do people, why do they have to fall? You get hit by a truck and see if you'll stand straight. power of God's like a truck. It'll knock you off your feet. She fell down. But, you know, it's not really what happens when you fall. It's what happens when you get up. That's what really matters. It's not about falling, shaking, trembling, crying. It's about how you, how you are when you get up. If you're the same after you fall when you get up, it's no point. You're, you're a fanatic. But if something happens, that's why I don't give people courtesy falls, you know. If he won't stop, I'm going to fall. I'll fall on purpose just so I can get this guy off me. But she fell out, and then, I don't know, like five minutes later, gets back up. She hears from the Lord, go and test yourself. Prick your finger. She runs to the back, pricks her finger, and she sees she's at 4.5, which is a perfect sugar level. She came back to me, and she said, you have to hear this testimony. In two years, I have my logs, and she showed me her logs. She had a little machine. In two years, I've never been able to get my sugar level below 7.5 with the help of exercise, with the help of diet, and with the help of medication. But one touch from the master's hand, one touch from the healer's hand, you know, he's the prince of peace. In order for Jesus to be the prince of peace, he also has to be the God of war. 
What does he go to war against? He goes to war against everything that's gone to war against you. Everything the devil's done to you and your family. There's nothing he's done that God can't do something about today. Not tomorrow, today. And my God shall supply all your needs today according to his riches and glory. Why don't you stand up on your feet and the, the worship group can come out. You're here today. You've never given your life to Jesus Christ. I want just no more. You can move to get up, but no distractions. Just stay in this atmosphere. If you're here today, you've never made a decision to give your life to Jesus Christ. You've never come to an altar and publicly confessed Christ as Lord and Savior. You need to get saved today. It's not an option. Why do we make a public declaration of faith because the bible says if you'll deny me publicly i'll deny you before my father but if you'll confess me publicly i will confess you before my father who is in heaven so that's why we do a public altar call a generation of camouflage altar calls has created a generation of camouflage christians i don't believe in that so I, if you're too shy to stand up for christ in a church where most people will applaud for you then obviously the message didn't get to you yet. But if the message got to you this morning and you need to make right with Jesus Christ, you need to make today the day you get saved. You need to, be, you need to make today, like I did seven years ago, where you link hands with Jesus Christ and everything turns around for you. For if any man is in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation. The Bible tells us, and we read it before, that before you come to Christ, you're dead in your sins and you're dead in your trespasses. That means as much as you think good works will get you out of it, it don't work that way. God has no respect for good works. The Bible actually says your good works are like dirty, filthy rags. Good works can actually keep you out of jail, but it takes the blood of Jesus and accepting Jesus Christ into your heart to keep you out of hell. Heaven is real and hell is equally as, re as real. And God has voted for you, but the devil has voted for you too. But you have the casting final vote. And wherever you vote, if you decide to take this message and reject it and say they're just fanatics, well, one day you will still have to stand before God who, who you'll start saying Lord I never heard it I never heard it but he'll say yo you remember that one day where that little tiny white preacher started yelling at you and told you that you need to get right with God and you left that place and said nah that's true. I'll do it tomorrow I'll wait for a more convenient time God will show that on the, the screen of heaven and you'll walk away shame faced and there's an eternal hell reserved for people like that but I know that's not your case because God drew you here today not to show you, not to show you something so one day you'd go to hell but to show you something today to know that Jesus is the way Jesus is the life Jesus is the truth and he's calling you home he's saying today the table has been set it's time to pick up a chair pull in your chair and start eating off the finest of heavens I'm here to tell you you fall into that category or number two maybe you need to get right with God maybe you you are you, you come to church but you know you're not right with God you're in you have unrepented sin in your life you're still struggling and addicted to things and you haven't repented from it. You haven't broken free from it. You need to make right with God today. You need, the Bible says in Joel, prepare to meet your God. Now's the day to prepare. Maybe you've been going through the routine of religion and it's just dead religion. There's actually no real encounter you've ever had with the Lord. Where the new birth, you know, Jesus said, unless you're born again, you'll never enter the kingdom of God. You need to be born again. Not just, I prayed a prayer once and that was it. No, born again. If you fall into those two categories, today's the day you need to get saved. So very, very uh, quickly, with everyone's heads bowed and eyes closed, if that sounds like you, and you're not ready to let this opportunity pass you by, 
Today's promised to you. Tomorrow's not promised for you. Today's the, the day to get saved. The Bible says he'll wash away all your sin. He'll bury it in the sea of forgetfulness, never to be remembered again. Doesn't matter how bad you've been. Doesn't matter how dirty the things you've done. Doesn't matter how evil you think you are. God is here today with wide open arms saying, come unto me. Call in you home like the prodigal son. Don't let this opportunity pass you by wherever you are. You need to make that decision today. Very quickly on the sound of three. I want you to lift your hand. Three, two, one. Wherever you are, just lift that hand. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. I see that hand. I see that hand. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much for listening to the Sermon of the Week. God wants to work in your life and we want to hear it. Please take a moment to share your story by emailing amen at westonroadchurch.com. Thanks again for joining us. We hope listening to this week's message has equipped you to be the light wherever you go.